This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. Here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTKA.com. Sam Webb, Mr. Ira Weintraub on the other side and joining me as they do every single week to talk about the week that was in Michigan sports this week. Focused a lot more on Michigan basketball, of course, is the, the crew from MGO Blog for the MGO Blog Roundtable. Uh, started to say, and by the way, thanks to Phil Martelli, who wanted to make sure that he came on this week. Uh, it's been very easy for him to skip this week, like we have in the past when he had recruiting things to do or was otherwise occupied. Uh, but this week, especially, he wasn't going to not do it. And we were going to find another day to do it. And he came on today. So I uh, want to thank Phil for doing that. Uh, and thank the guys for joining us for another roundtable. Starting off with Brian Cook. Brian, good morning. How are you? I am well. We have Craig Ross, who. I got a message for you for from Al Borges that we'll pl- I'll play for you a little oh, bit. Oh, Al, I love Al. So. Yeah, he shouted you out. He shouted you out unsolicited on the uh, on the film study this this week that we got uh, around to doing. So heart heartthrob Al Borges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy how that works out. And then of course one Mister Seth Fisher. Seth, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I, I felt bad that Borges was getting all the ladies, so I got that little lump on my forehead fixed. Hopefully I'll be more attractive now with a with a cool scar instead of a lump on my forehead. Yeah, it's crazy. Scars are cool. Yeah. Crazy that Al Borges has become a heartthrob. That <laughs> the ladies want to know where Al is. Never thought I'd see it. All right. So interestingly, uh to to kind of set things up I had her uh Friday as we we're getting ready for the um, getting ready for Blake's his unbelievable toy drive. It was amazing. Somebody said, "Oh man, I heard Juwan hit Sandman." I was like, "Nah." Hey, immediately, I dismissed it because I'd heard about a fight. I don't necessarily hear about everything when it happens, but I'd heard about a fight. Uh, and so day passes. We get into Saturday evening, and then more rumblings. By the time you get to Sunday morning, he's body slammed Sandman. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like that, and then you were hearing that from coaches, scouts. It was calls from all over the country, and then Sam did not show up to the game, but Jawan is there. So my initial inclination, uh, I thought at that moment was proven true that there's no way that there was a fight because he would be at the game if there if there were a fight. But what happened? And that's when we get to the point where you hear, yeah, there was a there was a verbal altercation in practice in front of the team where the two sides were, were separated and he's taking some time, which brings us to where we are now, where it's an HR matter. And, you know, we'll kind of see 
what happens with that. All the while, Brian Cook, this team has games to play. And in a league that seems surprisingly wide open. Uh, I think you meant to say awful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I mean, however you want to characterize it. Chicago State now has a a win over Northwestern, which has a win over Purdue. That's the state of Big Ten right now. (laughs) So, uh, Brian, kind of handicapped this thing. First, the, the obviously the uh, your reaction to the the Juwan Sandman stuff, and I full disclosure, I like and respect both guys. Uh, so I probably should be called Coach Howard and Sanderson instead of calling them Juwan and Sandman. But that's how I know them. Uh, that's how I'll continue to refer to them. And so your take on that, and your take on Michigan, and in this league coming off that Iowa victory. Uh, <laughs> um, it's a lot there. <laughs> So after the Wisconsin incident, after the ejection a couple of games ago when he wasn't even a head coach, I I find it sort of untenable to continue on with Juwan if his longtime strength coach, who everybody around the program has never said a bad word about in 15 years, is elevating this to I'm filing an HR complaint with the university. That just feels like like he was on a zero tolerance policy after the Wisconsin incident. This feels like maybe it didn't get physical, but if this investigation comes back and it, it probably is going to say some things that I'm just like, I think this is probably over. And I'm not happy about that, but I just, at some point you have to, you know, draw a line in the sand. And the only thing is that Ward Manuel apparently doesn't want to do anything that he's not absolutely forced to do. So I think maybe we'll just be in this limbo, but at this point, how's he going to recruit? How's he going to retain staff? How's he going to be an example to college basketball players? So for me, this probably seems like the end. Um, As far as the league goes, it's an awful conference. Purdue is good. And I think uh, Illinois is good and Michigan is going to go 500 in it because they don't play defense and they're not going to start playing defense. And it just feels like the Sanderson stuff connected. It just feels like they're all connected and that this team is less than the sum of his parts. Craig Ross. Wow. Um, I, was hoping this was something that was that happens often in the workplace. Uh, I've been a part of it. Two employees have disagreements. They yell at each other. They shake hands five minutes later and say, sorry, bro, and walk away. And it's nothing. Uh, this is not apparently that. Uh, because once Sanderson filed the HR complaint and once Sanderson wasn't even at the Iowa game, uh, I have to believe this is a more serious rift within the program. Now, the Michigan football culture, as far as I can tell, is really good right now. And, ha- and ha- even with, uh, you know, the sign stealing thing, it still feels it still feels like uh, coaches and and players are all pulling in the same direction. Maybe this is just a function of being super successful. I don't know, but it feels that way. It doesn't feel that way within the basketball program right right now. 
even with Phil Martelli. And, and this is painful for me. Phil Martelli is a great guy. He's a wonderful person to talk to. Uh, I, I talked to Jawan for the first time many years ago in Tommy Amaker's office. And uh, we got along. I thought he was wonderful. I was happy when he became the coach here. Uh, my interaction with him since he's been the coach has been limited, but to the extent I've had interaction with him, it's been positive. He's an emotional guy, obviously, if you recall his original press conference uh, when uh, he, he pretty much broke down crying just to be here. And uh, he is a very emo emotional person. Uh, and that can be a good thing, but maybe not always. And um, so I don't know. I mean, I would like uh, to hope uh, that this is something that, that can be worked out. As Brian says, it's axiomatic that Sanderson, he's almost iconic, I think, uh, around here. Maybe, maybe calling him an institution is right. Um, but if, if the culture within the program is so bad that John Sanderson's going to walk out the door, uh, you, you got a major problem because he should be a part of Michigan basketball and Michigan athletics. Uh, so it's upsetting in terms of an actual basketball. Uh, I'm not quite yet on the same page with Brian. Yes. We've been a dreadful defensive team, uh, but we did play decent defense and we did some things differently that we haven't done uh, against Iowa. Iowa's a very good offensive team. They're number 25 on Ken Palm. We're 21, I think. Uh, they're obviously a dreadful defensive team year after year. And this year they're probably worse than ever. Um, but Michigan did play better defense in this game. They did a couple of things. Uh, or they didn't do some things that they have been doing, which is like jumping at every ball fake. You know, I, it, it's been driving me crazy that every time an opponent ball fakes, we're up in the air. Uh, and, and that seemed to mitigate quite a bit in this game. You still have a lot of problems on the Michigan basketball team, but I, you know, and maybe this is just a one-off, but it did seem like, there were things that were better. And as Coach Martelli pointed out, you sh Michigan's uh, volume shooters were terrible in the first half. They were something like 2 of 16 or 3 of 17 in the first half. Yet they were still ahead and they came out in the second half and and put together a really, really nice half to the point when they were ahead by, uh, ahead by 20 on the road against a team that not a great team, but certainly a decent, good team. And, and so there, there, you know, maybe there, there's some positive momentum going, going on here, despite, you know, whatever internal conflicts exist within the program. Seth? Head and heart, man. Um, I mean, it's weird. We're talking about this right after their best game of the season, probably, but yeah. Um, my, here's where my heart is. I was 11 when the Fab Five came here, and I was 14 when they were all. By the time they were gone, that is like heart of the time when you could get into sports. That is that is that is my team, right? And you know, since he's been here, I've been able to like interact with uh, Coach Howard a few times. He came to the hospital. He and Jace were at the hospital when my kid was there, and Jace 
was the first one when you walked in. He wasn't sitting in the back. He wasn't just like hanging with his teammates. He was the one in the front greeting people. So these people mean something to me more than maybe some of the football coaches who I've never really interacted with personally. Um, I was really kind of too young to enjoy Harbaugh as, as, a, as a quarterback. Um, so that's where my heart is. And that's why it's so hard to look at this from a head pers- perspective and say, I completely agree with Brian that you look at what happened with Jet. I mean, I'm just talking about not even this, the HR thing is an HR thing. And I, before I was at MGO blog, I was a boss of a magazine and I had to deal with an issue, not exactly like this, but an issue like this. And really there isn't a lot of dealing. There is, they give, they present the information and then you have to make the, the only decision that you're allowed to make. That's how these things work. Once it go, once it becomes an official thing, as I understand it, um, but as far as where Michigan basketball is at, they have other head coaches on this staff. They have multiple other head coaches on yeah. the staff. Um, and, you know, the recruiting, they've grabbed some five stars who were the worst kind of five stars. The, uh, the team has not come together the way it's been less, less than the sum of its parts. The most wins they had were when he was uh, – had a you know guys they inherited from Beeline and a culture they inherited from Beeline, and part of that culture, part of what we really have left, was Sanderson. And if you add what we've seen, just basketball wise, it breaks my heart. But that's kind of where we're at right now. And I want to stand behind these guys, and I want Howard to be here forever. But I can't, you know, I, I can't make the same mistake that Aaron Scott make. I got to go with my head here. So a couple of things. Um, I think that as the the advent of the Howard era has been impacted dramatically by the by the portal and how Michigan can navigate the portal. Now that some of that is largely their doing uh, when it comes to admissions and how that how that whole process works. And and then the other part from the staff perspective and the timing of how you how you uh, navigate that, the timing of how you uh, approach different guys and who you can actually get in. That has largely been a a tougher adjustment for them to make than than football. I think that is a a bigger thing. Uh, I look at Terrence Shannon right now. Like man, that dude's here. You know what is it? What does it look like? But as far as this particular thing with John Sanderson, you know it's tough. It's really tough for me because I, I've known Sandman, uh, no Juwan. This is largely an issue of hierarchy. The 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 reason for the argument, I'm not going to get into the get into the weeds on that. It is true that employees disagree all the time. But employees disagreeing with their boss, while that might be something that happens in in company environments, it doesn't really go on in the public view or in this particular instance it doesn't go on in front of the team. And the issue here is that it happened in front of the team. And so when the head coach basically says it's over and it's not over and it continues, well, now you have an issue where a lot of head coaches, and I talked to a lot of coaches about that, man, I see it as insubordination. Now, will this be ruled that? You got Sanderson saying it's an HR issue. You got Juwan saying it's an insubordination issue. And you got the administration has to decide which it is, which one, is, which one of those it is. But the fact of the matter is that you can't dispute is that this was a an assistant challenging a coach in front of the team. That is not in dispute. Now, whether he was 
warranted in doing so, whether that was warranted is something for the administration to, de to determine here moving forward. Now, how they navigate this is the question because coaches disagree, staffs, I've yet to come across a staff. You talk about harmony, Craig. I've yet to come across a staff where every guy on the staff likes each other, uh, you know, considers one another friends. The closest that I wrote this, the closest that I've seen to it was D-Lines, Bakari, Jeff Meyer, Val staff. Every other staff that I've seen has guys on it that they aren't, you know, that, you know, I work with that guy. He's my colleague. He's not my friend. Every staff that I've covered has that. So you have professionals who know how to put personal disagreements, uh, personal relationships, put them to the side for the betterment of the collective. Can they do that here, given that it happened in front of the squad? I don't know, man. I mean, I wish I could give you a prediction on that. But I don't know. I don't know if they can if they can do that. I don't know if given the choice after the season is over to continue to work together, they will want to do so. I think that's that's a question that's going to have to be asked. I mean, if you have this kind of disruption and you also have the track record that Juwan has unfortunately accumulated, it just gets more and more difficult to move forward believing that this isn't going to happen again. And that's kind of where I am is like, if I, you know, I thought this was a one-off, like maybe something said, maybe something was said to Juwan that was just a completely off color and he loses against Wisconsin. That's one thing, but we're getting, I'm not going to say it's a pattern yet, but we're getting towards it being a pattern. And I just don't know how you can run an organization if that is a pattern. So, you know, even setting aside the performance of the team, and you're you're absolutely right, Sam, is that, I mean, the biggest problem with Michigan basketball right now is Michigan's admissions. Because if you put Terrence Shannon on this team, if you put Caleb Love on this team, they're easily the second best team in the league. Easily. And, you know, to reject guys from, they're not coming from, you know, a junior college or Michigan state, they're coming from real universities. Like this is not a reasonable thing for anyone to be doing in 2023, right? Like we need to preserve the academic sanctity of LS and a like <laughs> get, get real. Like most of the, most of the kids who are at Michigan right now, like most of the kids in most colleges are expecting good grades it's a consumer focused university right now, just like everywhere else. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who teach these kids and it's like, yeah, this isn't like the 1960s ivory tower. This is a business. <laughs> we are encouraged to facilitate by keeping these kids in school and for Michigan to be holding on to one small aspect of what a university used to be. 50 years ago to the detriment of what a university is now is ridiculous. And it, it doesn't seem to be preventing Michigan football from importing guys from coastal Carolina, <laughs> but Michigan basketball can't get a guy from UNC. So, or yeah, a guy from Texas tech, who's like three credits short of a degree or right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And that's going to be a problem. If Michigan does actually move on from Juwan Howard is that this is the portal era of college basketball. 
And I don't see how many coaches could look at what happened to Caleb Love and to Terrence Shannon and say that he they want to sign up for this. And unless Santa Ono makes it very clear that this isn't going to happen again, Michigan's going to be behind the eight ball in this sport permanently. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about multiple different problems with the, with the basketball program. And I want to get back to something that Sam said, though. You said, you know, it's a question of insubordination versus uh, an HR issue, disrespecting you to your face in front of everybody and, and, and damaging the organization. That means there's there's been a failure along the way. And, you know, I don't know. I, I wasn't there for this, but it sounds like the failure here was that uh, Coach Howard was taking the side of his son over how the pro- program was supposed to work and how you know they do the training or whatever whatever it was about i've never seen an insubordination issue that wasn't also at least in part on the leader i'm not saying it's impossible i've just i've seen these yeah. things happen before and it's it's never been that way but i i i uh I, i've talked to a lot of coaches about this i talked to a coach who was fired for insubordination <laughs> i talked to vance about it he said yeah man i was a hothead i I uh, I told uh, Gundy at Oklahoma State. He said, "I told him you're acting like a two year old." I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's not right. He was right. Uh, We've seen Gundy, right? We've seen Gundy. He does act like a two year old, but he said, "Man, you can't say that to your, you can't say that to your head coach. You can't say that to your boss. There, there are things that you you have a response." Here, let me clarify. When you get a response like that, when you get an HR issue in return. That means that there's a leadership issue. I have absolutely seen insubordinates go off the rails and get fired for doing that. That happens all the time. and But that doesn't seem to be this because there was a response. And there was, now there's an HR issue. Yeah, I think, I think that's, why we, that's, that's why you let the process play out. I mean, listen, um, I, I've heard – and I don't want to get off into the sides on this because I've, I've heard – and I don't want to – take sides on the argument. I want to get into the less subjective thing. And the less subjective thing that they're focused on is, all right, man, he, he was challenged in front of the squad. Now, you can, what you have to assess, and this is, I guess, where the, the level of subjectivity is, is was, was this something that warranted, you know, challenging the head coach's authority in front of everyone? Was this something that warranted that? That's what they're going to have to, de- ta- have to determine. But, you know, Leaders, I think, in healthy environments want to be challenged, want their ideas, Amen. want their faults pointed out. But there's time and a place for that. Like, we'll, we'll do that behind closed doors, out of the view of everyone else my, where my authority isn't undermined with them. There becomes questions about who's really running things if, if, if my subordinate is basically ba- telling me how it's going to be when I'm saying how it's going to be. If I say I got it, then I got it. Now, if you want to talk about that further, we'll do that in a staff meeting, not out here in front of all these places. I mean, this is exactly right, Sam. The, uh, it may be hard for people to believe, and I would get it, but I did supervise people and a number of professionals at, at one point in time in my life. And uh, I encouraged them to give me a hard time. I told them it was in their job description to give me a hard time. Uh, that I wanted them to be able to criticize me, the agency, our institutions, because I felt that was the only way we could get better. 
And I made it clear to them that as I would never be hard on them, that un unless there was something that they were, you know, just not doing or not doing correctly, we would talk about that in private, but I would never ever go after them, certainly never in public, but that I promised them I would go after my superiors, which was administration in the county and the circuit judges. And I was always willing to do that. Uh, uh, but in terms of, of, of my role as a supervisor of, of these people, to the extent I could have supervised them, because they were smart, uh, and uh, I wanted them and I wanted the environment to be one where I could be criticized. And I didn't care if it was in public or not. Now, and, and I think that's the, you know, the, the best sort of work environment, to be honest. But what was going on here? I don't know. But the, the big picture for me is not exactly what happened. The big picture for me is you have, you know, Juwan Howard, who was certainly an icon in Michigan basketball. You've got John Sanderson, who has been here for, you said, 15 years and has been an important part of, success, of the success that's, that's accrued in the basketball program. And for them to be at this sort of loggerheads uh, is more than a shame. And, uh, I, and I'm fearful the outcome of this is not going to be good. Yeah. Well, there are no good options at this point. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you're right. Like, you know, from context, like, what is Sanderson upset about? Mm -hmm. Probably upset about the rehab of Jace. We That's have reports that Jace has flown out to Los Angeles. And after last year, when he kept playing Jet, despite Jet playing the worst defense that has ever been played at the University of Michigan in the basketball program. True. Like, he was a first-round pick. And if you look at on-off splits last year, Michigan was seven points better per hundred possessions with him off the court. And that was like games against Purdue. Like that wasn't just nobody games. Like, so he, the games he missed and it didn't really feel like he improved one iota over the course of the year. And so like, it kind of feels like he's prioritizing his kids over Michigan basketball. And that's not something that, I mean, that's not going to be a problem for very much longer, I suppose. But if he's, if it has come to this point where you are having a HR report worthy fight with the strength and conditioning coach who's been around for 15 years and has never had a, a public problem with anybody, like how likely is it that this is a John Sanderson problem? Well, I, I guess we would have to know how, what their, what their working relationship has been over time. Like I, I've said before, um, you know, can I can speak of I can think of examples of staffs that you know have guys, even head coaches and assistants they hired that they aren't. That's like that's not my friend. That's not my dude. I will not hang with him. He just works for me, or I just work for him. Has this been that kind of of deal? I don't know that about Sandman and Juwan. I'm I'm asking the question to to raise the possibility. I mean, you got to. A situation where this was a, a retained guy. This was a retention that you made, and this is the kind of thing that can happen when when you retain uh, employees. I'm not saying that Sandman shouldn't have been retained. My question is: is this is this is this part of how their relationship arc, or is this something that that just dusted up here 
And now I think that's again something else you got to be looking into if you're the uh, if you're the admin now that you have an HR case. Yeah, now that it's I mean now that it's public and now that it's a HR case, the facts are going to play out, and then you just have to let the facts decide what's going to ha- what what happens. I the facts are going to include what to what degree Coach Howard was. Um, you know, fighting on behalf of his son just because he's his son. It will include to what degree Sanderson was, you know, pushing back against uh, Howard. And it will that, that that kind of thing is going to be out there, and that's what's going to determine the decision. And what happened that day is going to determine the decision, and how physical it got is going to determine that decision. So, well, and I, but I I just kind of feel like at some point it's like, <laughs> like what's the point? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the point of like parsing through all this stuff? <laughs> like, this is a bad basketball team that's likely going to miss the tournament for the second straight year. It looks like it's less than some of his parts. We have multiple incidents that are incontrovertibly negative. And for the Sanderson thing on top of it, if you lose John Sanderson because of this incident, it's just like, I. I'm, I think I'm. I think I'm out. Like I just think I'm out. Like I'm not making any of the decisions here, of course. But like, you know, at this point, I'm just like, how is this getting better? Because the arc of this program doesn't look good. Yeah, I mean, the one quibble I would have with that is that I don't want to count this team out of no. the NCAA tournament yet. I mean, the, you did see some glimmers this weekend. There's one Big Ten team that is going to the tournament, and it is Purdue. (laughs) This is the swag. But that's—I mean, to me, that's kind of the point. Yeah. Uh, You had you had (laughs) Michigan in a must-win game on Sunday, but Iowa was in a must-win game. Michigan Mm -hmm. State was in a must-win game, and Nebraska was in a must-win game. And a team that you thought would be contending for the national championship is now four and five in the basement. Below Michigan, a team that beat Purdue, Northwestern lost to Chicago State last night. If you can find some kind of rudder, even with all the flaws this team has, man, it's you can you can be less bad <laughs> than, the, than the rest of them. You don't have to you don't have to be great. You don't have to be good. You just got to be less bad than the rest of the teams. And as far as the outlook, listen, man, they got a good recruiting class. They actually got a good recruiting class coming in. You got some shooting. I mean, Christian Anderson has turned into a dude. I love Christian. Uh, Kanai Roos is a yeah. is a ball player. You you just hope that he's not a one and done. He's not tracking as a one and done. Uh, he's looking like at least a two year guy. Like you got some pieces, and you got a squad where the majority of it can come back, with the exception being Olivier. The rest of the guys, if you want them to, and they want to, could potentially come back. And in the current college environment. That's more valuable than getting five-star recruits, getting veteran guys like Namari Burnett, Trey Jackson, uh, who were their first year in the program to come back another year. So, I mean, there there's potential here. The question is, you know, can they put themselves on the track to realize it? Yeah, uh, I, yeah I'm yeah, i with I, you, Sam. I don't want to quite give up on this team yet. I think it's premature. I mean, okay, yeah. but we're talking about a team that's starting Terrace Reed. Mm-hmm. Olivier Kamwa, Damari mm-hmm. Burnett, they have the number 123 defense in America. Yep. That is 
I mean, you took two guys from Alabama and Tennessee who were top five defenses last yeah. year. You have Terrace Reed, who's hypothetically an upgrade yep. on uh, Hunter Dickinson. You have a senior in Terrence Williams. You have um, you have Doug, who's moving from being a freshman to being a sophomore. And your defense is worse. Yeah, it got worse. It is unbelievably worse. Last year, they were in the top 50, despite all the problems. And this year, they are 70 slots worse. And I'm just like, at some point, you know, at, at this point in John Beeline's tenure, he hired Luke Yakovich. Because he's like, I don't know what I'm doing on defense. And I've got Xavier Simpson and I got Charles Matthews. And this is not a team I can coach reasonably well. And that's the kind of thing I guess I would have to see to like, I don't see how you can possibly continue with this coaching staff because you have an abominable defense with good pieces. And at some point, something has to change. Well, that's fair commentary. All I'll say is that this last week we went from 137 to 123. Yeah, I, I know. I know what you're going to say, and you're right. But I'm, all I'm saying is it's just a little too soon to give up on it completely. We gave up 1.707 points per possession to Iowa when they shot 25% from three. Yeah. yeah. Like, I that's know. just Iowa didn't shoot well from three. That There was no, like, revelation. And I was not no, like, Iowa's, oh, we really got it now. I was not as good as old Iowa, by the way. This is not like yeah, a, this, I, this I is not as, a, a blitzy offense. They're just as bad defensively as they've ever been, but their offenses are not good shooters. Right. And I'm, I'm just like, they lost to Long Beach State, giving up 94 points at home. Like, yeah. At, yeah. At some point, why would I believe this would change? Well, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I'm not, it's hard to contest, but I still feel like there's some glimmers there. I mean, I believe, I believe in your predicate, you know, and, and because uh, that this is a team that has parts that should theoretically fit together. I mean, it, it's, it's been the homily for a month here. And that's that, in fact, we said it on a prior show. We, were, we thought, well, maybe Michigan will be Rutgers. This just kick-ass defensive team that, you know, struggles a bit on offense. But, well, it's turned out it's the opposite. We're Iowa, right? We're a terrible defensive team that's actually got six guys who can shoot the ball. Um, and so uh, that that's a little confusing, I admit. But I still think the parts are there. It's not impossible that they can – at least become a good enough defensive team so that the offense wins some games for them. Yeah, Long Beach State said, put some respect on my name. We just beat the first place team in the Pac-12. I don't know if that's a dubious distinction. Pac-12 is a Big Ten, man. More terrible basketball programs coming to the Big Ten. Hooray. <laughs> All right. We got to get to a break. Back on the other side, we'll get some football in. Unless you guys want to talk about the, the state of the Big Ten. Uh, we'll get it. We'll talk some Michigan football as well. Stay tuned here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050. WTKA, the ticket. Clear on the radio. Boy, this chat has been on fire. <laughs> oh, really? More than normal. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, chat been on fire. Yep, 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 yep. This has caused quite the, quite the debate in the chat. 
What's the generalized tenor? Can you uh, general? <laughs> <laughs> well, you got Daniel Horton in here on fire. He, he's on fire, and and hmm. there's been um, yeah. What is what? What's so you? Uh, you, yeah, I'd say it's pretty split. You got uh, half the people saying, "Yeah, uh, you know, they're they're done," and you got the other half saying, "This is ridiculous." You have a guy being insubordinate to to his boss, mm-hmm. and that's and that's it. Yeah, I don't know what you do about the um, mm-hmm. about the admissions thing. I mean, you, you hope that they find some sort of some sort of allowance there because Terrence Shannon doing what he is doing for Illinois is uh, it's appalling. <laughs> Huh. It's appalling. I mean, how we yeah. had breakdowns last year? Did we go through and they're like, "Oh man, if we only had a wing, eh, if we only had a wing." And I'm still doing it this year. Every time I go into the previews, I'm like, "Oh man, if we had a wing to stop this guy, this would be great." Also, Caleb Love is playing seventy percent of Arizona's minutes, and they're the number two team in the country. Uh, yeah. So, and that guy was playing for North Carolina. <laughs> Yeah, I hear you. It's just, just like what, like, yeah. And and your point is good, Brian. I mean, even if there is a transition, how does in in today's basketball environment, how does how does a coach come in and say, "Yeah, I want that job," but no, forget it. You're not gonna. You're only gonna get grad transfers in the portal. Mm-hmm. And uh, when today's environment is all portal driven you know so i'll I'll just run through a few as that one yeah and then this uh nancy 11 is under basketball program yeah and uh but then tyrese says michigan basketball too conservative uh then you got neil wiggins said Back on radio in about one minute, guys. All right. Yeah, mm. I mean that's that's basically right. My my response to, to Daniel Horton, I'm not going to pretend to know more about basketball than than he does. Uh, but the um, it it's it's not just about this one incident, right? That there are previous incidents, and then go back to you're going to have to let this process play out, even if he just piled a PR. Even if he filed the uh, HR report just to save his job, well, if you filed one, and you're going to have to play that, let that play out. Sometimes you don't have the decisions that you think you have. Okay. But yeah, I, I should not have said. I've not should not have said. Back in about twenty really. seconds, guys. What What did you say? I don't even that, know that, 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 that is, that's have, always that. a that's always a leadership problem. I I meant that only in a small that that in this scenario that it was more of a leadership problem i should not have said it as more as generally as i did. All right, guys stand by we're coming back on radio in five four three we are back folks here on the michigan insider sports talk 1050 wtka online at wtk.com sam webb mr ira wine travel on the other side so fellas we are uh, another week closer to the rose bowl another week deeper into the alabama scout I'm curious if your opinions of the Crimson Tide and what they do and who they are, whether it's evolved any since last week, and uh, your your thoughts on the matchup as you get deeper into uh, the the position battles, if you will. I mean, 
It's going to be tough for Michigan to throw the ball against their corners. So most recent, um, I think Matt Miller draft on ESPN has both of their corners going in the first round. And it's actually Terry and Arnold, who's the less hyped one who goes higher in his, his mock draft. And I believe that, you know, Roman Wilson is going to be able to get open against those guys, but not maybe as consistently as he has for much of the year, because he has not been like the elite shake and bake route runner. He's, he's good, but he's not oh, that Kansas state kid from back in the day. Lock it. <laughs> He's uh, and he uses he's he relies heavily on the fact that he's the fastest person on the field. I don't think that's going to be the case against Alabama, or at least it's going to be close enough where he might have a little bit of a muted impact. And I still think that Michigan's going to have to do their work against their linebackers with um, their tight ends. And I'm really hoping that we finally get to see a Donovan Edwards game this year because he looks like the kind of guy who can break this Alabama defense, hit some big plays, you know, just move the chains with him as a weapon that comes out of the backfield and is used much more um, frequently than he has for most of the season. So I still think Michigan can be able to run the ball pretty decently. And then the Milrow thing is like, they're going to have to dedicate resources to preventing him from just chewing up yards on the ground. But given what we've seen from the Ohio state ball knowers in the aftermath of that game, talking about how Minter threw everything he had at Kyle McCord. And, you know, after that game, Marvin Harrison is like, yeah, I had no idea what they're running at any point. I feel like Milrow is probably going to be on a pitch count when it comes to, to throws. And I think both of these teams are going to be pretty cagey and, you know, for Michigan, they're going to have confidence that JJ can break the pocket, make some things happen, but that secondary is outstanding top to bottom. So they're going to, both teams are going to have to take their shots, try to run the ball. And Michigan's going to have to run the quarterback a lot, a lot, like not just reads, but called runs that bash stuff. They've got, I think Alex Orgy has a major role in this game. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, I, I, I've just started to look at Alabama tape, uh, watching the Georgia game. Uh, they're good. I'm not really sure they're a, a better team than Ohio State. To me, they look about the same quality as Ohio State. I ran numbers, net yard per pass attempt. It has Michigan winning this game by seven. Uh, and uh, you you look at at the macro elements of it, you've got them Alabama losing to Texas at home by 10. You've got them having trouble scoring against USF scored 17 points in that game. Uh, trouble scoring against old miss. They did beat Texas A&M by six. That was on the road. Uh, they beat Arkansas which did not have a good team, uh, 24, 21. And that was at home. Uh, they, the Auburn game uh, was 27-24, a game they should have lost. And in that game, I didn't realize that uh, the turnovers were 3-0 favoring Alabama. And they still only won by three points at, you know, at the end of that game. Um, Auburn was able to run the ball against them effectively. 
I think that Michigan can. I think it's going to be hard to hit them outside, but I think you can run in between the tackles on them from the little bit uh, I've seen seen on tape. Um, obviously, beating Georgia is a, is a good win for them, and they are a good team, but I don't think this team is unbeatable. I think it's a team Michigan can, can beat from what I'm seeing so far. Yeah. Seth? Yeah, I mean, these guys almost lost to Auburn. So, I mean, the the, yeah. the line on them is that, like, they're a team that got better over the course of the season because they're so young, which does happen. They've got freshmen at, at, uh, at, at tackle. They've got true freshmen starting at safety. They've got young guys all over the place because that's what they do. They get five stars and they get the top of the class and they put them in the top of the draft in three years. That's who they are. And that kind of team gets better. And Milrow is going to be awesome. Next year or the or year after, he is going to be – a Heisman candidate, he is going to be unstoppable. And you're getting him right now where he's still kind of not sure of everything. Brian hit, hit the nail on the head as far as using the quarterback. Because uh, I don't like their defensive tackles as much. I think that they're young, they make mistakes, they remind me a little bit like Chris Hinton, like two of them, um, where they're talented guys and just not quite there yet. Uh, and I kind of see this team a little bit like 2021 Ohio State where you can just move them down the field, except the way they play is the same defense they've been playing since 2007, right, where he, he plays uh, that version of cover three, that, that switch defense that's always going to add a safety from one side or the other. So they're always going to be eight in the box unless you're, you know, on a passing down or they're throwing a change up at you. So they're always going to have that extra guy in the box and the way you fight that. The way you get up one again is having the quarterback in the run game. And that was their problem against Auburn. Uh, that was the problem against Ole, uh, Ole Miss, I think it was. Uh, they were, they, they've had uh, issues when they have to – because they're going to still leave that one guy high, and that's how they want to play. When you leave one guy high, Michigan fans know this all too well from the Don, uh, you know, pre-Don Brown era. Um, that's going to be a problem when you don't have somebody to match the quarterback, if that's the game that you're playing. So I think Michigan can one-on-one beat them on the offensive line. I think that running in the middle, I think that Blake Quorum should have a good day. This is a good day. Brian mentioned Edwards. This would be a great day for Quorum to have his like game of his career. So that's that's where I see this game going, and hopefully we can just bash him down the field, but you're going to have to get the quarterback involved because they're going to add that safety to match it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, that point that Brian made at the onset, quarterback runs have to be – absolutely established early in this contest. I mean, I'm not, not to say you aren't using it throughout, but that has to be a staple. I think it's a key to, to the run game being unlocked against a team that you can run the football against, but they are better. I mean, USF game to me is, is the line of demarcation. It's an inflection point because he started Tyler Buchner in that. I mean, it was, it was the him, Nick letting Tommy Reese kind of, all right, I'm going to let the new guy do his thing. And then after that, kind of smacking him down. And saying, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this another way, and we're gonna we're gonna play to the strengths of this quarterback. And you get to the to the uh, to the Georgia game, and I I got the the guys watching that. And I think Vance watched it live, and he said, man, what stuck out to me in that game is they were deathly afraid of Jalen Milrow running the football. And I'm thinking, why? Because you played such a passive defense, you would double spy him at times and rush three, and he has that all day in the pocket, and you allowed a guy who is not a great passer to find some early rhythm. So I agree with the, you gotta, you gotta come after him. He gets a couple of runs. He's going to get some runs. You got to come after him. 
you got to make him uncomfortable, rely on your front, your movement up front to get some heat. And if he breaks up, he, if he pops a few long runs, fine. I'd rather have him running the football than getting established as a passer. Now he has a two way go. That's my, my take on, we can get deeper on it. The week of the game, because next week, fellas, we're traveling. We're uh, we're out and about. You got any thought? Oh, I can't even get into signing day. We no, we could come on on signing. We'll be on next week. We'll talk signing day next week. So that'll do it for today's show. Another outstanding roundtable, folks. You can find the guys over on MGo Blog. You can find us here tomorrow on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK the Ticket, the official voice of the University of Michigan Sports Ann Arbor Accumulus Station.